This episode of We Are No Alamo, the mental health podcast, is brought to you by Louisiana Wild Crawfish and Catering. Hey, in the studio. You ever ever had crawfish? You mean crayfish? No crawfish. I can't say that. Oh my gosh. Okay, well you really needed to check out Louisiana Wild Crawfish and Catering because not only are they crawfish, they've been catering hundreds of events across Texas since 2012. They offer full-service on-site catering and are equipped to handle any corporate or private event in Texas. And what's even better are the people involved with Louisiana Wild. Let's give a big shout-out to Russ T. Craw Daddy. Please follow him on Instagram. That's R-U-S-S underscore T underscore Craw Daddy. Rusty Craw Daddy is the wild side of Louisiana Wild Crawfish and Catering. And just like everyone else on the Louisiana Wild Side team, we want you to know that you have value and you're a part of an absolutely powerful community. Thank you guys again for supporting the podcast. Let's get into it. Where do I sign myself up? Just don't call it crayfish ever again, okay? I think we'll be good. (laughs) I'll think about that. Thanks, Louisiana Wild. You know, thinking back on it, the first time I ever walked into an AA meeting with my eyes open was the first time I ever felt like I was home. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of We Are No Alamo, and I'm very happy to introduce Matthew in the studio today. Welcome, Matthew. Why, thank you, Paige. It's a pleasure to be here today. I'm really happy that you were able to come interview on such a short-term notice. We had some scheduling difficulties, but good things coming, people. Um, very excited for the interviewees that we got lined up. And Matthew, you really have That a sure story. makes me feel pretty bad about myself. Actually, you <laughs> wow. No, I'm happy that you're, you're able excited to for everybody me. else but me. <laughs> I'm excited that you're here. I am. Um, because you're here for a very important purpose. And I've been talking a lot about AA and Al-Anon lately. And you have experience with that. Um, so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and, you know, tell me more about AA and, you know, we're going to talk about some myths and misconceptions. So, yeah, so my, yeah, I guess you already know my name is Matthew. I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. Um, you know, been in AA on and off for a very, very long time. A long time. What do you mean by that? I had my first experience going to AA about nine, no. 14 years ago? That's really long ago. So what brought you back to going to AA? You know, I had a relapse. Um, so I started drinking in for a while, little while. Um, and then, you know, um, I woke back up after I had enough pain and suffering. Um, and I knew there was a better way. So for me personally, that way was AA. It is. Um, so, you know, I started going back to meetings, getting a sponsor and working the program. 
Awesome. So let's start with that. When, where did AA start? Like, what's the history about it? Because from what I know about AA um, is that, you know, you're an alcoholic, you go to AA, you get better. Like, there's only one type of meeting and everything, and it's just this nonprofit that just, you know, whatever. So start from the beginning. Yeah, so AA has a very long history. Um, I am not an expert on the history of AA as a whole, but I do know that it was founded, the two, like the main founders were in Akron, Ohio, eventually in like 1934. Uh, the first big book was published in 1939. Um, the last edition, I forget when it was published, but there's been over 10 million copies published worldwide, multiple printings. Um, so we're talking about millions and millions of people who are going to AA meetings across the world. Like I've been to AA meetings in Germany. I've been to AA meetings in the Netherlands. Um, and it's in many different states. That's great. Pretty much anytime you want to find a meeting, you can find one. And not all meetings are the same. Okay, let's go there. Good yeah. segue. So I am slowly learning that there are different types of meetings for different types of people in different situations. Can I wouldn't say that at that? all. Okay. I would say that there's actually just different kinds of meetings. I wouldn't say that for different people or for different situations. Yes, there are all men's meetings. There are all women's meetings because I think for some people that's important, which is great. Um, there is also, you know, LGBTQ friendly meetings or LGBTQ only meetings. Um, but that is the decision of whoever is running that group in that meeting. Um, and that's the way that works. So, but there are different kinds of meetings, even within that segment, like there's, you know, discussion meetings, there's big book meetings, there's meetings that go over the traditions, the steps, um, you know, plethora of speaker meetings. So you have a lot of different meetings and different groups. No, and but there's also agnostic groups. There's also atheist groups as well. Right. Well, that definitely blows my mind a little bit because I've just pictured it, you know, in the movies, like you go to AA in a gym and you sit around smoking and cigarettes and drinking bad coffee. Exactly. <laughs> and then afterwards, um, people get hit on in the back, you know, like not super cool stuff on movies, I guess. Um, so when you say there are different types of meetings and everything, yeah. what is kosher and what's not when choosing a meeting in your area? It just depends on what you want and what you're looking for, right? So what about you? Give a little you know, like I like to do a bit of everything. So like big book meetings are important to me because you go through the big book from front to back and you spend like the first 30 minutes or so, 20 minutes reading from it. And so you're reading the, the text with the group and then you discuss that reading with the group. Um, so I think it's really important because the, that is really where like the first hundred and some pages of the book is where we get everything that you should be doing. That's right. part of the program. And it has never been changed since the first edition. So sometimes when you read some things, you're like, that's a little outdated. It is. Um, but it has not been changed. Right. And that goes on to, you know, we have about five myths that we're going to discuss real yeah. quick. Um, and these come from recovery.org and American Addiction Center's resource. And myth number one, we're going to set the record straight, right? AA has a low success rate. It simply doesn't work. Why and is that a myth? Because it doesn't work if you don't want to work it. Um, but the recovery rate for alcoholism as a whole is actually really low. Mm -hmm. um, with most addiction it is, right? Um, so to say it doesn't work is a fallacy. I know people who have been sober, um, 30, 40 plus years by, with, by utilizing the principles in the program of AA. 
so I can have firsthand knowledge that it's worked for me and for millions of other people. Otherwise, it wouldn't have lasted from 1934 to 2019 and then also have meetings across the world. Right. Like anywhere you want to go, you can find a meeting. Mm-hmm. And I really like that because it's really not one size fits all. Right. No. And to hear that there are so many options that I didn't know about, I'm sure mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know that. And um, you can find an AA meeting area. How did you, or how did, how should people find these? There's lots of different ways. I mean, there's the AA.org. Um, and that will have a list in your area of every single meeting. Um, and the time, what kind of meeting it is, if it's an open meeting, if it's a closed meeting, if it's, you know, LGBT friendly, if it's, it, it will give you every bit of information on that meeting. And that is AA.org. Yep. Nice. All right, let's go. Myth number two, AA is just like any other nonprofit organization. Definitely not. We have no, like, we're not, most nonprofits make money. Yeah. <laughs> AA has no desire to make money. Each group is self-sufficient. hundred percent. Big part of their mission. We take right? zero donations from anybody outside of the people who attend the meetings. We are not affiliated with anybody. We will not endorse nor oppose any cause. These are our traditions, like the rules that we have to live by to make sure. And that's why AA is still around. Other groups were around when AA started. There was an Oxford group and there was another one. Um, but you know, sometimes they got involved in other things and the groups fell apart. Um, AA has stayed out of everything. Like you will never hear AA as a whole come out for or oppose anything. Right. Cause they don't require dues or fees. They don't actively fundraise. There's the, not a central office, in New York, well, there or anything is. like that. There is a central office. Um, there is, but it oh, is not. Okay. In New York. There yeah. you go. Okay. But it's not, it's not like they're there to make money. <laughs> Right. <laughs> no, that's really for publication material, things like that. Um, you know, it's not something that you see a lot of advertisement for. Right. Um, that's really different from a lot of other yep. organizations. And we and they do not take donations from anyone. That's the main thing. Like it's self supporting. Like nice. we DuPont can't give us money. J and J, Baxter Healthcare, you know, anybody that has a corporation, you can't give AA money. Right. They won't accept it. Well, that's pretty cool because then it really is like you're coming in and, you know, doing the work. Mm-hmm. The groups are self-supporting. Mm-hmm. What did you say also about the people who come into the program? Um, you get in... What you put into it. Right. Just like with therapy or anything else, right? Like if you go to AA and... It's a program of action. Yep. It is a program of action. It's, you know, you have to do things. It's, you know, the only requirement to be a member is a desire to stop drinking. Right. That is the only thing that you have to say and want to be a member of AA. So whenever you go into an AA meeting for the first time, mm-hmm. do you say that? Well, you don't have to. Well, usually at the very beginning of the meeting, you know, they'll ask some questions like, you know, hey, anybody here from a different group who'd like to introduce themselves? Is there anybody here for their first meeting who'd like to introduce themselves first name only? Uh, and you don't have to. You don't have to. There's no requirement to say anything. Um, we will say at the beginning of some of the meetings, if it's a closed meeting, that this is a closed meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and this is a meeting for people who have a desire to stop drinking. Right. So if you are a medical professional or a therapist in training and want to go experience or see a meeting, there are open meetings to the public mm-hmm. that anybody can go to, even people who have, do not have a desire to stop drinking. Right. 
And I was reading an article article earlier today that a lot of doctors and physicians um, really would request medical students to attend some of these open AA meetings mm-hmm. um, in order to, you know, like experience it for themselves and, you know, what these 12 steps are and the people who come into these AA meetings and really get that experience. And I thought that was pretty powerful mm-hmm. because if you're going to be a lawyer or someone you, you know, tell someone with a DWI, you have to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and it be mandated. I don't really, you know, mm-hmm. I think there's a disconnect there because the main thing is that if you go to AA, you have a desire to stop drinking. Exactly. Right? Yep. And I guess I should read the actual Alcoholics Anonymous pamphlet that I gave you. Yeah. So, Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There you go. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Copyright AA Grapevine, reprinted with permission. And thank you, AA, Mm -hmm. from We Are No Alamo. You want to get into myth number three? Yeah, let's do it. What okay. is myth number three? I'm excited for some of these are fun. You must get a sponsor who will then control your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there is no requirement to get a sponsor. Um, it is highly suggested that you do so. Um, I have two sponsors right now. Okay. Um, so there's another myth or misconception for me. Well, you can only have one sponsor. Yep. You can have more. Um, no one says you can't. Um, the rules around sponsorship are very vague. Overall, um, there's the rule, like the Alcoholics Anonymous isn't really rule heavy. Um, it's, we have some suggestions. There's lots of suggestions. Okay. Um, you know, and these are things that have worked for other people and, you know, your sponsor does not run your life, but your sponsor can give you suggestions on things that can help you be better. Cause usually by the time you're coming into the door of Alcoholics Anonymous, you're been you're pretty beaten down. Yeah. A lot of times your decisions have gotten you there. So sometimes you might need somebody to help you and you're running some things by. They're never going to tell you, you have to do this, except maybe do some homework, right? Like, hey, we're working on this step. You need to read these pages. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard sponsors work with their sponsees like every day they'll read a chapter together. You know, it really depends out of the big book or, you know, read pages together or ask them to read certain pages every single night before bed and upon waking. Um, it all depends on the sponsee sponsor relationship and the way that the, the program was passed down from that spon- from sponsor to sponsee, from sponsor to sponsee, you know, going back a long way. Right. So, so it's kind of like finding, um, not a therapist, but you know, someone who has been through it before and you can find someone who you can connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously if you're going through this experience and you're accepting that you have, you know alcoholism if you've accepted step one yeah you know which is you know that pretty much your life that you cannot control your drinking and your life has become unmanageable right so if you've accepted step one you know you're on your way and then asking somebody for some help works um working the steps from then on out really helps Mm um you know there's some people who can live in the first few steps and stay sober for a long time you know 
Um, I personally like to think that working all 12 steps works the best Mm -hmm. for me. And at the end of the day, if you can't really do it by yourself or, you know, if you think you can, well, until you can't, you know, there's going to be someone else there because there are some, there are steps that you need somebody else. And since we're talking about the steps, let's just go through them. One, we admitted to, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Number three. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Underline the understood part. Okay. That's the most understood. Yep. That just whatever your higher power is. Mm-hmm. Because it's not There's about no, God. It's your, and higher power. It's a spiritual program. Like when I say God, like Christianity, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's a spiritual program. Right. So number four. Um, yes, searching and fear, fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Number five. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Number six. Uh, we're entirely ready to have God remove these de- defects of character. Number seven. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Number eight. Made a list of all the pe- persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Number nine. Made direct amends to... To such people, whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. That one's interesting to me because I would like. I think emotional injury in there, emotional harm, should like also be in there. But I. That's what, you it know means. what I mean. Okay, cool. Number it, 10. it pretty much means oh. if you talk, if you have to make an amends, and that amends that person could cause any type of harm, mm-hmm. anything. Don't do that. Don't. Number ten. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admit it. Number 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Number 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Honestly, I've never gone through and really read all 12 steps. And that seems like a lot to master. And You never master. You never master? No, it's a program of personal growth. Okay. Tell it, me more about that, please. Well, it's it's really about growing. Because if you look at, if you read what some of these steps mean, they seem impossible. They seem perfectionistic. Kind of like if you took what Christ said at value, right? Like we're going to talk about just religion real quick. Like that's perfection. It's not possible to live up to it. But you can strive to be a better person. And these steps, like, look at 10. When you were wrong, promptly admit it. Because you're going to be wrong, and you're going to say things that you might not, you shouldn't have said. Or you might do something that might hurt somebody. But knowing it sooner, and then saying I'm sorry and making amends for it in the moment, continues the path of growth, right? And just to repeat number 10 for everyone to remember. Number 10 is to continue to take personal inventory when we were and when we were wrong, promptly admit it. Mm-hmm. That's a huge self-awareness practice as well, right? Yep. And it goes into, you know, like being proactive with your homework in AA with these steps mm-hmm. and talking to your sponsor. And when I say um, you going to AA meetings is like your medicine, mm-hmm. would that be like, would that? I mean, some people say that. Okay. I mean, that's, you How know, for you, I mean, it's a place where I can go and I can be around people who have been through what I have and understand what I've been through and my experience, my strength and hope, and I can get things from them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a place where you can go for camaraderie and support and it's a support system on top of, you know, when people like 
depending on the kind of meeting, what it is, um, you learn and you can learn from other people's experience. And, you know, you get reminders every day of why you are on the path you're on. Mm. And people really open up and talk about it. Everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, can you tell me more about the relationship you have with your sponsor? Because going back to um, myth number three, when you get a sponsor, they're going to control your life. Like you, We're talking about them being a, a vessel of learning mm-hmm. or a conduit of learning, yep. whatever SAT word you want to throw So they're, the person helps you work the steps, right? They, they go through the steps with them. You talk with them about them. Um, also, they're there when you're having just you need someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're, they're never going to control you or tell you exactly what to do. They might give you homework. Like mine gives me homework. Like, hey, we're working on this, so you need to do X, Y, and Z for me. Right. Cool. It's really for me because I need to do it before we can do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. So it really just depends. They're not going to control my life. They can't tell me when to wake up, when to go to bed, this and that. They can give me polite suggestions, suggestions that have worked for them, and I can choose to do them or not. Right, because if they're sharing, it might help you grow stronger with your own recovery. Yep. Um. And other practical experiences and learn with from other their mistakes. People. Yeah, it shows that no one is super immune to you know alcoholism if you have it, right? Mm-hmm. And with sponsorship, I guess comes um, or becoming a sponsor comes with a period of sobriety. Depending on, there's so many different. To become a sponsor, you have had to have worked the twelve steps. And you just have to work the 12 steps. You had to have gone through the 12 steps with that's, that is the only requirement that I know of to be a sponsor. Okay. So if you go through the 12 steps in 12 weeks, you can become someone else's sponsor and we'll help them work through the 12 steps. Okay. Do you pick your sponsor or just someone else pick them for you? You pick your sponsor. Nice. So, you know, at the end of most meetings, depending on where you are, they'll, Hey, who is here that, was is looking for who wants to work the 12 steps with the sponsor you raise your hand and that goes right into myth number four aa makes you do things you don't want to do yeah no no. (laughs) never (laughs) ever 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 participation is voluntary but i will say there are parts of the some of the steps are very hard and difficult and you might not want to do them it's not easy such as you know look at step four do a fierce moral inventory of oneself okay you know step nine step eight made a list of all the people you have wronged and became willing to make amends to them all Mm -hmm. these are not simple tasks right and you have to be proactive and do them yourself they're action and i just want to make clear that everyone knows i'm not speaking for all of AA as a whole this is just me as a person who attends meetings and works the steps and has Mm -hmm. had sponsees in the past this is the way i look at aa I can't speak for everybody in AA and I can't speak for every group. Right. Because I can't. Well, I'm happy that you're speaking to me about it. Um, I love AA. It saved my life. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm, that makes me so happy to hear. Thank you for sharing that, number one. Number two, can you tell me a little more like how it did save your life? Yeah. Like it's the only thing that's ever gotten me or enabled me to stop drinking. Okay. You know? It's the only thing. And also to understand, because for me, the way I look at AA, it's, yeah, it's about stopping drinking. But the alcohol for me personally, and for what a lot of people, talk, a lot of us talk about is alcohol is but a symptom of a deeper problem. Right. And our problem is the way we think, 
right? And so um, we're self-will run riot. Like there's a lot of different things in there. And so alcohol is a symptom of that. Um, and so it's much more than just about stopping drinking. It's about changing. Like I remember like one of my first meetings I went to a long time ago, this guy goes, you only got to change one thing about yourself. That's everything. <laughs> It's easy, man. It's just easy. It's not easy. But that's also why, you know, people come in and out. Sometimes people take years to get sober. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the thing is you'll never be kicked out of an AA meeting, even if you're drunk. Because everyone's on the spectrum of alcoholism. There's a full spectrum. Well, you can be sober for decades or just like 30 seconds, you know? Well, that and the only requirement for membership is desire to stop drinking. And so myth number five. What is that? AA members are rock bottom, hopeless drunks. who will never get better and will always relapse and are just pieces of shit, basically. I think that is a huge myth. Oh, it's absolutely a huge myth. I mean, first of all, I was um, what they would call a high bottom drunk. Um, I know okay. others like that, which means I didn't lose everything, right? I lost certain things, got in certain trouble, but I didn't. I wasn't begging on the corner, right? Okay. Um, and that's what I think what people think about, like in you say in Chicago, the guys underneath Wacker Drive, you know, um, the bums, the guys are panhandling. Okay. Um, that's what people might think of a lot. Um, and I do know people who have been that, mm-hmm. gone to AA, gotten better, and now own homes, have jobs, are successful in their lives right. in whatever way makes them happy. So like I know people who have been institutionalized for a year, Plus, because of their alcohol and drug use, mm-hmm. and now, 30 years later, they're still sober. Right. You know, so, yes, there are the the bottomless drunks who come in, and then there are people who, you know, have different, it's, it's, it's different today than especially when it first was founded, so it's really hard to say. We, we talk about in some of the meetings how the bottom's been lifted a lot. Because we talk about AA a lot more. People know about it in high school. Right. You know, it's something that people know about. It's, you know, it's talked about. Lawyers will tell you about it. Your doctors will tell you about it. People yeah. will tell you. You know, I got told, you know, real early on in life that I had a problem because I kept on getting into trouble with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And there's this thing called AA. You really probably should go. Right. Um, and I didn't listen for a long time. Um, but when you did, I'm sure it was like putting on glasses for the first time. Yep. That's, it's so good to hear, like, the inspirational stories, you know, if I did it, you can do it too, and... And they have meetings specifically for that, they're called speaker meetings, where you have somebody come in that might have X amount of time sober, and they tell you where they were, what, how they got to... Speaker meetings? Yeah, they're called speaker, most of them are open to, to the public, Um, and so a person will go and tell their story from why they were there, how they, you know, what it was like before, how they got sober and what it's like now. They'll share their experience, strength, and hope. Um, I like that. You know, so that way you can go, you can hear somebody with 15 to 20 years sobriety talk about remembering, because they don't shut the door on the past, the past. You know, to talk about what happened when they got sober and what life's like today and how the steps and the program has made their life better. Yeah. And these are speaker meetings where they share their experience, strength, and hope. Is that yep. what you said? Absolutely. Awesome. And last misconception for me, and hopefully you can shed some light on this, Mr. Matthew. Um, I will find out. I've realized that there are 12 steps, and then there are subsets of steps, and then there are sub-sub-sub-sub-sub-sets. 
in the step, 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 step. So you talked about the fourth step um, we were talking about before, and that one takes a while for some people. Why is that? Because it's doing a moral inventory or something and like... Tell me more about that. There's multiple ways to do it. It just depends on who your sponsor is and what they've done and what they choose and how they work the program with you, right? Okay, uh, so when, what are the steps that you and your sponsor are doing with your fourth step? Well, uh, well what we did for my fourth step. Oh, okay. Um, you know, first of all, it's a list of resentments, mm-hmm. you know, and talk. That's hard. A little bit, but, you know, you get that off your dick and you forgive all those people, right? Um, and then you do a fear catalog, a fear inventory, what you're scared of because fear and anger are the same coin, right? And a lot of times what drives us is fear. Mm-hmm. So then we do fear um, and do an inventory on fear. And then we also did one on sex okay. um, and sexual relations and relations in general. Um, and so for that, I guess you could say it was a three, four part thing. Four step. And each of those, each of one of those has, you know, like four to five, four columns, and then when you talk about different things in each column, yeah. so they're not they are lengthy, um, but to be fearless and thorough is the only way because they have a purpose. They're yeah, purposefully trying to help you, yep. and it's giving you, from what I'm hearing, an outline of how to work through your own experience. It, it's teaching you and showing you your patterns and what caused certain things, right? Uh, And you're you're part in it. Like, you know, you're taking the acceptance, at least this way I look at it, you're accepting who you are and accepting your part of the bargain. Even if somebody did something to you that was completely awful, you got something and you resent that person for a reason, you don't know what was going on in that person's life. There's other things you don't know. So, for, and something that I've heard in the rooms is like, you know, anger, judgment, all those are things that other people have the luxury of, but we do not have because we make it, we take it to extremes. Why and is that? Because then we end up drinking over it. Oh, oh. We are self will run riot. Um, it's hard to really explain in the amount of time that we have. What did you say before? I think that explains self will run riot. Self will run riot. What does that mean? You know, I thought I could play the puppet master, and if people didn't do exactly what I thought, it would make me upset, mm-hmm. and that would hurt my ego, my pride, cause me fear because, oh, maybe they don't like me, or maybe yeah. this, or maybe that. It caused all those kind of self-doubt, self-delusions, which then caused me to drink, and then to drink more, and to drink more. Yeah, it just adds to your compulsion. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, I think that we have an allergy to alcohol, so we don't, we have this phenomenon of craving other people don't have you know you mm-hmm. put me at the bar you give me a drink i'm not usually going to i'm not going to walk away i'm going to have about 10 more yeah um that's interesting to hear you know other people can go and like my dad my dad can fall asleep with a half a beer in his hand mm-hmm. i've never had that happen to me unless i was maybe passed out drunk so yeah no there's differences and i like how you said that too there are differences just because like with mi there are differences with people experiencing anxiety, um, some panic attacks are different, but at the end of the day, you're still experiencing anxiety, mm-hmm. right? And alcoholism is a disease. Mm-hmm. But it's not a moral defect, just like depressions and chemical imbalance in the brain, but you are not that disease. You are not this alcoholism compulsion. Mm-hmm. But you I do don't have, have to be. Yeah, 
Oh, there you go. Rock on. You have the power to make your life better. I, I would say I don't, but that's just because my higher power has the ability to do that for me. Well, I'm that's just going to give you kudos that you're able to trust that your higher power can help you. Is that fair? It is. Well, let me explain this to you real quick. Like okay. This is the way my a friend of mine said to me was, you know, we gave up our entire will to alcohol. We let it control our lives. You know, we gave up. We thought it was the solution to all of our problems. Who better than somebody who's already given their will over to something to give it over to a higher power? It's a really easy trade-off. You know, I thought alcohol would solve all my problems. Now I'm thinking that there's something else that can help me solve my problems in a much better way. That's really heartfelt. I'm going to take that with me today and have that be, you know, my meditation, my moment of zen, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, And just to wrap up, this has been a pretty serious, you know, episode, but I'm really thankful that you are talking, you know, to the Wana fam and to me about this because it's important for people to know that, you know, AA started so long ago and kids and young adults and, you know, 20s, everyone, they know about AA. Like, you talk about it, it's a household name, and I'm hoping that we... It's a truly safe place. Yes, and I'm hoping that we are no Alamo can, you know, kind of turn into something similar where this is a safe place to talk about really hard things like this. Mm And to know that you're really not alone. And it's so important. Well, that's a big part of the AA program is you're not alone. Yeah. You know, I remember I get that text from my sponsor all the time. Hey, remember, you're not alone. How, how does that communication go? Do you talk like every day or do you talk? Yeah, I talk to him every day. Is it just like something you guys both set up? Yeah. That works for both of you? Yeah. AA doesn't tell you what to do? No. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it's like, you know, we, I'm trying to be, you know, especially with there's some things that there's some recommendations that people have, like, you know, your first 90 days, you go to 90 meetings, you go to a meeting a day, you talk to your sponsor, once you get your sponsor, you, you check in with them, mm-hmm. simple text saying, Hey, I'm sober and alive. It's like a training plan. Yeah. You know, we think about it. Most habits take 90 days to break. Mm-hmm. So getting into forming new habits isn't a bad idea, but these are suggestions. It's right. different for everybody. And the checking in part, I think, is really cool, too. Just with, like, with suicide prevention, you mm-hmm. check in with your strong friends, well, you, check in with your friends. I've lost a lot of people to suicide in A. Okay. Oh. So, I I'm mean. So sorry. It happens. Really um, so, no, these are, there are other reasons. You brought it up, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, no, they're, they're checking in because think of the point of most of us when we get there. It talked about bottomless drunks. doesn't necessarily mean that I didn't have a house, I didn't have a car. It could have meant I was mentally bankrupt and morally bankrupt, and I was on the verge of drinking myself to death. Yeah. You know, I might have still had a million-dollar house, and all the money in the world didn't mean I wasn't happy. Right. And what's really interesting is, you know, talking to people about We Are No Alamo, and so many people have opened up that they're in recovery, or they work with people who are also in recovery. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm so grateful for that. And I'm sure a lot of people are too. And there's millions and millions of us out there. It's true. And you're not alone because 
We are no Alamo. We are no Alamo. Matthew, thank you so much again for being on the podcast. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Anytime I can be of service, let me know. You are always welcome here. Thank you again. Everyone, thank you. have a great rest of your week, and we'll see ya. See ya. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs> Bye. I forgot to tell you, say ciao, poop, ciao poopsies. Hey, Panda, I think that's our recording. What do you think? Bless you. Bless you.